delighted that you have found the Mindset Mental Meets podcast. I'm Angela Cox, your host and indeed the Mindset Mentor, and I'll be interviewing executives and founders at the top of their game to find out what lies beneath. I want to know what makes people proud, how they define success, what holds them back and indeed what drives them forward. This is authentic and natural conversation with the best in the business. So listen in, enjoy and if you love what you hear, please do leave a review. And now over to today's guest. And welcome to today's podcast. Now, what a treat I have in store for you today. I am with Eleanor Foley. Now, I'll tell you what Eleanor does first. So Eleanor leads solutions delivery for digital transformation in Novartis. And she'll tell us more about Novartis. They're a Swiss pharmaceutical firm, one of the top three in the world. And I'm sure we'll hear more about them and what they do. But for me, Eleanor is so much more than her role and her leadership position. For me, Eleanor is or has become a friend and the two of us could chat for Ireland where where Eleanor is or for England where I am. We just have this connection that seems to be super deep, even though we've never actually met in person. So every time I see Eleanor across the Zoom room, I feel like I am with my sister. So this should be interesting. We have to stay on track today, Eleanor, with the the podcast thing. We'll see how we get on. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Lovely to see you as always. And yes, we'll stay totally focused. We're going to have a really focused conversation today. (laughs) Yeah, for the first time ever. (laughs) For the first time ever. No ranting off into different areas. (laughs) Now, before we came on air, Eleanor was like, oh my goodness, what if I swear? And I'm like, Eleanor, when you swear, you swear like no other. So just do you and go with it. Because she has that gorgeous Irish charm that comes through. I read somewhere recently, people who swear a lot is a sign of high intellect. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hopping on that bandwagon. (laughs) I might get on that as well. I like that a lot. Now, what's it like over there in Ireland today? What's the weather doing? It's a bit grim, a little bit wet and a bit grim and a bit grey, but we've had a beautiful weekend of blue skies and everything. So just good Irish weather today for November. So it's not too bad, I guess. That's what we need, isn't it? A bit of of cloud in the sky to to mark the start of November. Yeah. Now, you and I today have to talk about your three proudest moments. And Mm -hmm. I know in your life, there are many moments of pride Mm -hmm. because my goodness, you've had a life packed full of stuff. So I don't know how you're going to pick just three. I'm really intrigued as to what they're going to be. Obviously, you're a mum to the most beautiful daughter. So one of those might be in there. But let's have a look. Let's start with your first one and see what you've got for us. Yeah, and it's an interesting one because even when I was trying to pick out what are my three proudest moments, and I thought to myself, actually, nearly every day is made up of really proud moments. And for me, sometimes the pride comes in the simplest, simplest of things where I just could burst open, my heart could burst open because I, I watch my daughter do something or I achieve something so simple in my in myself. And I kind of think, God, you know, I'm so proud of myself, of the person I've become or 
I'm so proud of her and the person she's become, or I'm so proud of something simple that happened today. So I feel really lucky, actually, that there's kind of all these proud moments every day. But anyway, I was thinking about back about kind of the journey of my life and I guess where I've ended up into and the work that I've done with you in terms of getting to know myself, really, and getting to accept myself. But I was trying to think back about my proudest moments. And one of them is when I landed a job in Microsoft. It was back in 2012. And I actually remember being here in the kitchen, getting the phone call maybe at, say, 7.30 in the evening. And I actually jumped and danced around the kitchen. I was just so excited. I was so excited. But it wasn't necessarily just because I landed the job in Microsoft. I mean, obviously, Microsoft is Microsoft, but yeah. I, and I felt I'd arrived. But in order to get in, like I was working away and I'd applied for different roles. I'd applied for roles in Microsoft before and I never got past. I must have got just thrown in the bin. And, and the reason that I didn't get past that gatekeeper, I think, was because I didn't have a degree. I didn't have a diploma. Okay. I'd maybe... 20 years working experience or 15 years working experience, traveling the world, implementing large ERP software solutions, very complex for lots of software vendors, but I couldn't get in, into these big guys at all. And the reason was that I didn't have any qualifications. Mm. So when I was when I was 18, I was due to go to college and I had a car crash and two people got killed in it and I got fairly badly broken up mm. and I never went on to do my degree after that or to do any college. So I, I went and did a secretarial course and then I worked my way up along to where I wanted to be. And then this little, this little nagging voice was always in my head of not being good enough, not being clever enough, not having a diploma, not having a degree, not having a piece of paper to prove all the stuff I was doing on a daily basis. Yeah. So I went back when I was, sorry, I'm 51 now, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, so this was... 10 years ago, 12, 11 years ago, I went back and I decided to go and do an executive MBA. So I went from zero. I'd never studied. So I went from zero, not doing a diploma, not doing a degree to doing this MBA. And I did it. I thought was to open doors into places like Microsoft that I could get accepted for a job. But actually, it was to satisfy a need or a gap I felt within myself yeah. and to give myself that belief in myself. and. I realized when I was dancing around the kitchen, it wasn't actually about Microsoft at all. It was about me and what I'd achieved and how proud I was of myself having done that MBA. And, you know, I was a single mother at the time. I was working full time in a very busy job. I didn't, Amy was eight at the time, just after building a house and moving into it. It was so bloody busy. I couldn't think straight. Get her to bed and I'd start studying at half 10 at night and could study till two in the morning and then getting up and working the next day. And I remember living on like jelly tops, jelly tops and jumping jacks. Like I was so tired. I was so tired. I'd be doing jumping jacks in the kitchen to try and keep myself awake. And I'd be raiding her jelly tops from the press to try and get some sugar into me. So it was that kind of achievement of, of the MBA and the journey that got me to that stage, you know. So that's what maybe think about that particular moment so oh, I mean there, there's so many aspects to what you've just said I'm interested about the stickability when you're going through something like an MBA on top mm-hmm. of being a single parent on top mm-hmm. of having a full-time job and the pressures mm-hmm. that that brings in those moments where you're going oh my god I've got to do another five jumping jacks just to stay yeah. awake yeah what conversations are you having with yourself to stick at it Oh, I had lots of conversations of where I told myself I was completely crap and I wasn't mm. able for it 
I also got totally and utterly burnt out and yeah. start suffering from really bad fatigue to the degree that the doctor said, you're not able to finish it. You shouldn't finish it. You're going to make yourself really, really ill. And I still had this thesis to submit. Uh-huh. And they're saying, don't do it. You're not to do it, actually. And all the family are saying, don't do it. You've got to mind yourself. What about your daughter? What about your job? What about yourself? And you're sitting there and like, there's several times I fell down in a heap in the kitchen at two o'clock in the morning, cried my eyes out and thought, I don't want to do this. I've just had enough. But then I just picked myself back up somehow because you have to just, I suppose, with everything in life, you know, even though you, you have the bad moments, you know, and I, I have this thing stuck in my fridge. It's okay to fall down, you know, but you just got to get back up like the phoenix out of flame, yes. you know, and not lose your sparks. Somehow you've got to ignite that spark somewhere. It might only be an ember, but you have to somehow find where it is and ignite it within yourself. And you're doing it entirely for yourself and, and nobody else is going to do it for you. Even if you have the best support in the world and even if they're telling you everything is brilliant and you can do it, if you don't have that fire in your belly to believe it, they're at nothing as well. So, you know, I, I, remember, I remember having the conversation with the guy who was over the MBA and this thesis, I got a, a two-month extension of the thesis and I said, what's the minimum mark I need on this thesis to get my, that I wanted to get an honours degree? And he was like, that's not the point. I said, no, that is the point. Yes. I want to know. I had gone from wanting it to be perfect or getting 80 and 90% saying, give me the absolute basics here. What is the absolute mark I need to get? And he said, well, you only need something like, say, 40% in your Jesus. So that's fine. Now I know what I'm mm. aiming for. Because I could have almost finished myself off completely. Yes, trying to get the Trying 80%. to get the 80 or 90, but I still uh-huh. get the same degree. Yeah. And no so, one really asked you what your score was. No, and nobody gives, like, nobody cares anyway you know and really it's for yourself so it's also removing that element of perfection which we all have and I I think women suffer from it as maybe a little bit more than men I don't know but most of my friends that I know who are female have this terrible thing of trying to be the perfect mother trying to be the perfect daughter trying to be the perfect partner you know trying to look perfect trying to act perfect trying to cook all the time trying to you know cook Cook and and feed the family and keep the house tidy and look after the dog and, you know, all those things that we, as well as being brilliant at our jobs and, you know, running whatever amount of miles every day. It's it's this perfectionism that can creep in and and it's our own. We, We put that pressure on ourselves. And actually, when you get to the level of where you say, I'm actually okay not being perfect, I'm okay just being good enough just to get like that thesis, just give me the mark I need. I want to get it in and get it finished with. And I, I don't want to ever hear about thesis again, you know. So and that's getting it in at that good enough level, but preserving everything else, because otherwise yeah. you're going to send yourself over the edge. And it yeah. sounds like what you were doing also is pulling yourself back to the reason why you were doing it in the first yes. place. Yeah. And it wasn't actually to open a door into the likes of Microsoft. I mean, it's Microsoft was that, yeah, it was. There's something within myself because I work for Novartis now. They're an amazing company. They have an amazing culture and they have this wonderful, they use these words, they have this unbossed culture and choice with responsibility, they call it. So unbossed means you don't, you don't have to ask permission from anybody to do anything. You are 100% accountable for your own actions. You make your own choices and you take responsibility for those choices. So if you want to work from home full time and not go back into the office because of COVID, mm-hmm. that's your choice. But you take responsibility to tell people and communicate, this is where I'm operating from. 
I work these hours. I'm actually going to, you know, work at two o'clock in the morning because that's what suits my lifestyle. And those are my choices. They're results driven and they mm. they give you the full autonomy to really, I suppose, have that work-life balance that you need to be. But this unbossed culture, it's not just a word. They live it every day. And I love it. I love the way that they have that. You know, it's really clever. Because they're getting most so, out of people. Well, yeah. I mean, mm. I remember an amazing leader that I worked with, Mark Palmer, used to talk about, you know, I don't care if you work four hours or 40 hours yeah. in your week, as long as you're delivering the outcome. Mm. And that is a really easy thing to say. Yeah. But in a large organization, that's a really difficult thing to deliver because there are so many inbred beliefs in people around busyness, around being present, around showing your worth by showing up and being there at eight o'clock at night and all of that. So I'm interested to hear how that actually works. Do you know what I think it is? And and, and I've, I've, you know, my first job was like that. You couldn't leave the office before the boss did, you know, because you'd be deemed to be not working. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I, I going back to my thesis, I did my thesis on virtual teams, and that was back in 2012, you know. God, check you, you out. <laughs> on on team, team dynamics in the virtual world. I was fascinated. How do you, and I was, I was working with Japanese companies I'd never met, with all these people I'd never met, like you and I, never meeting face to face. It was before video calls. I never saw them. It was all across the phone. How do you build rapport? How do you maintain rapport? And how do you maintain a relationship? especially when you're talking about, you know, bugs and software and everything is very heated yeah. and money, money is involved. But I think with the likes of Novartis now, the culture and with the way things are working from home, it's about trust. It has always been about trust, actually. Yeah. If you don't trust your workers, you're not going to get trust back from them. And it's mm-hmm. earned both ways. Absolutely. So if you trust them, they will go to the end of the earth for you. If you go to the end of the earth for them as such like, and then this lovely, lovely way of working where you're actually focused on the human being behind the work. And it's just, it's phenomenal. I like the fact that you use the word earning trust there. Mm. So many people talk about building trust, which of course Mm. suggests that you're in control of it, which you're not. So we do earn trust and that works both ways. So I guess it's also then about feeling that the other person has a positive intent and assuming that positive intent yeah because most of the control behaviors that diminish trust come from that place of well they must be doing something wrong or yeah they must have an intention that isn't serving the company or whatever yeah yeah and I'm often like that I love sports and I go to a lot of rugby games or and I go to hurling games in Ireland I get very passionate and I'm very vocal right so I'm, no. I'm a real pain in the ass yeah I'm shouting <laughs> shouting from the sidelines but sometimes I'd be giving out about the players right I said oh, God's sake like why did he do this or yeah why, you know and then I think did that did that guy when he got up this morning did he go out on that pitch with the intention of not winning that game <laughs> he didn't Eleanor so get over yourself he wants to win that game as much as you want to win that game he's actually out there playing it you know so and he probably feels worse than you <laughs> of course he does of course he does and me giving out to myself about him right it's horrendous. And I, I really chastise myself for that quite a bit because it's that belief that everybody's intention, you know, 90% of the time, everybody's yeah, intention is pretty good. Yeah, we always say part psychopaths. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leaving them to one side. In their head, it's a good intention, I'm sure. <laughs> not in our world, you know. Absolutely not. 
so you've got this organization that trusts people yeah. to do the right thing in the right way. Mm. And it works. I mean, if that isn't inspiration to some of the people listening, I don't know what is. Yeah, it's it's, it's brilliant. And and I observed it. I started off in there as a contractor and I was doing, I do my, like, I don't act like a contractor. I suppose I act like a full-time member of staff because to me, it's just work that I do. And it's, mm. it's the results of that. And I hold myself accountable no matter what role I'm in. But then they offered me to go in there full time. And the reason that I wanted to is because how they treat each other, how they speak to each other, how they interact with each other. But then the culture comes from the top all the way down and from the bottom as well. But they live and breathe it. That's incredible to hear. It really is is, because it's so rare. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's easily changed, I suppose, as well, Mm. and easily influenced one way or the other. You know, it's 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 a balance. But I I fundamentally believe from having observed I've worked from home because I live in the countryside a lot of my life long before when it was analog dial up lines. You know, it was, (laughs) you know, I was still working from Wexford and working for a Dublin firm. So you talk about two hours, maybe in the difference of a drive. And it's always been about trust. Mm. You know, and they got the best out of me because they trusted me and I responded well to them because I trusted them. And I think for COVID, a COVID above everything else, when everybody, 90,000 people start working from home on yeah. a weekend for Novartis, there has to be trust. Of course it is. Or else it, it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In all yeah. aspects and every jobs at the moment, I think, you know. It's just incredible to hear. And I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening who want to find out more because it is the ultimate culture mm. and so many struggle with it is that your second proudest moment then or is that just a kind of segue the first from one. the first <laughs> well it's first um, and second but there's so many uh, aspects in it it's amazing yeah there is but I think it leads on to you know from just from a work perspective is that trusted advisor role mm. you know and I've always seen myself in this trusted advisor role you know and I think if anybody is interested in trust in organizations, it's like everything, isn't it? It's like the song. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror. It's the man in the mirror. So everything starts within yourself. And if you become a trusted advisor in whatever role you're in, that you get someone that all you're doing is advising them and that you're asking them to trust you in your advice and you're giving them, you know, you're informed in your subject matter expert as such. And you you advise them. And I I used to sell software years ago. And if I thought someone shouldn't buy the software, I would tell them. Because hand on heart, I could not go in there and say, you need to part with this money for this software. And I know it's not a good fit for you. I couldn't do it. And in a way, it's a little bit too honest to a certain degree, but it's my values and it's what matters to me. And therefore, I can look myself in the mirror and say, actually, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with losing that sale because that actually is not the right thing to do. And, and right building, is right and wrong is wrong. You know, you've got to kind of, you've got to keep you got to that. draw a line. Yeah. And you're building reputation as a result of that for being somebody within an organization that yeah. can't be trusted. Yeah. So when you're talking about trusted advisor role, I can see that from the point of view of you to client and yeah. that kind of business mm-hmm. relationship. Does trusted advisor then translate through the leadership position as well? Or is that oh, different? To- totally. Yeah. As in me being a leader or leaders yeah. to me? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, of course it does because you have to trust people to make mistakes as well. That's the other thing. Not that you know they're going to make mistakes, but I know in, in my life, the most I've ever learned is the stuff that's gone wrong in me. Yeah. God, yeah. You know, <laughs> we all have. If you're going to mentor somebody, if you're going to lead a team of people, 
You have to allow them to make mistakes and not chastise them afterwards, but to be there and support them when they make those mistakes and, and have enough of a trusting environment again or a relationship that they can come to you and say, I've messed up. Yeah. This has gone all, you know, arseways on me, basically. And we have to fix it. And that you say, OK, what have you learned from this? Let, let's fix it. We'll sort it out. But let's go back and look at what we've learned from this because it won't happen again. So yeah. If we really mess up, it won't happen again, you know. And that's the biggest learning moment, isn't it? And again, that's something that's easy to say and, and not so easy in the moment when you're under yeah. pressure as a leader to deliver yeah. and deliver to budget and, you know, have all your people do everything in the right way. Mm. When misclangers happen, it can yeah. be really challenging for a leader to act in that way and respond in the way that yeah. you're talking about. And yeah. I guess it's that positive intention piece really helps with that again. Yeah, and the maturity to understand the bigger picture. It's not, you have to pick your battles, you know, and it brings me on to, I suppose, my next proudest moment is being a parent, you know, and, and being a parent is about picking your battles, <laughs> picking your moments. You know, I'm the very, very proud mother of an 18, almost 19 year old. And I am so proud of the parenting approach that I have. Now, if I had met you 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I wouldn't have said I would have been this type of mother. I would have said I would have been, you know, a different type of mother. But I've learned and I learned because I taught myself. I read everything there was to read about how do you maintain a relationship with your child as they grow up, as they become yeah. that tween, as they become the teen, as they are slamming doors and <laughs> giving you guff and giving you attitude. How do you maintain a relationship with them? And it's all about communication and keeping the lines of communication open in every shape or form. Mm. And that involves sometimes, and I've done this, going for drives at 11 o'clock at night when I'm too tired to even, I can hardly <laughs> climb into bed, I'm so tired. But, you know, it's it's going for a drive, it's it's turning on some music and driving along in silence, just listening to music. And it could be 20 minutes before the actual conversation that needs to take place yeah. happens. And myself and my daughter have gone through a lot. She's had a tough time and she's gone through an awful lot. And when I was about 12 or 13, I got this little prayer. And I'm not a religious person at all, but it was a friend of, a friend of my mum's. And it was the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in the car park of outside the supermarket when my daughter is like 13, 14, 15, and I found some horrendous stuff on her phone or Something awful is after happening. And I've sat in the car and thought, do I have the courage to go home and have the conversation that I don't want to have, yeah. that she doesn't want to have, that's going to create possible argument and friction? And am I wise enough to know that this is the time I need to have that conversation or this is the time I need to drop that conversation and not pick this battle and wait for the next one? But yet teach her what she needs to be taught yeah. in terms of becoming the person that you want to help her to become and allowing her to make those mistakes. It's no different than what you learn in your leadership and work. And I've lived my life always saying, do I have the courage? Do I actually have the courage? And is this the time? Is, do I, am I wise enough to know that this is the one to pick? And it has helped me. You've said it before in the leadership context that focusing on the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. It feels like that's what you're doing in those yeah. moments as well. Yeah, it is. What about in those moments where you don't have the courage and your answer is no? Then don't do it. Because you're only human. Mm. And 
you know, again, your intent is always to be there for your children, to be the absolute best that you can be for them, to keep them safe, to keep them well, to advise them as best you can. But there's just sometimes you just can't do it. You haven't got it in you. And you have to pick those moments in yourself Mm -hmm. as well and say, I may have the courage or actually I just can't face it because I know I won't handle it right because I don't have it in me today or tonight or this week. And it'll just have to wait. And I guess the desire as well. I mean, I struggle with this as a parent, especially with my boy. I'm Mm. better with Coral around this, but with Finley, because he's so closed, there was something yesterday I found out through Coral that he and his girlfriend have split up. So for a 13 year old boy. So of course I'm going, oh, come on, Finley, tell me about it. How are you feeling? He's like, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I don't hear that. You see, (laughs) I'm like, well, you know, Finley, I'm sure it's really hard. So let's just have a chat. And he's like, will you stop? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's that kind of Angela does stop because he doesn't want to communicate. That's okay. So I might have the courage, but he might not have the courage in that moment. Mm. So it's recognizing mm. that sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, they might have the the emotion or the ability to articulate what their emotions are in that moment. They need to process it themselves. Because yeah. I'm a fixer and it's an awful pain of an app. Like, yeah. you know, for me to be, for my daughter to experience me, I want to, I'm, I'm trying to fix things. But yeah, I'm trying to stand back and let her fix them herself as well. And there's no book you can read that's going to give you this. There's no manual. You can read all the books in the world. And it's just little snippets that you get from people that you know, friends that you know. But I, I think the most important thing is nobody knows their child better than you do. Mm. Yeah. Even when they don't know themselves. And you've got to trust your gut instinct a lot of the time. Because like your love for them, but also your protective nature and your care for them as well. Mm. And you know, you've got to stop and just give yourself time to think about it sometimes. Just think, am I doing the right thing? Because you have people undermining those decisions yeah. for you as well and telling you, you need to make them do this, you need to make them to do that. And then you you feel like, you know, that you're failing as a parent and you're beating yourself up internally. But inside, you do know. You've got to trust mm. yourself as well. You really do know. And you've got to remember, I always have this, this thing in in. Sometimes I feel a lot of parents maybe feel that they own their children, mm. you know, and, and I've always had this thing that I felt my daughter had as much right for her space on this earth as I do. Yeah. So she actually owns as much of that space. You know what I mean? She owns her own yeah. space. Equals. Own, yeah. And she has her own voice, even if I don't want to hear it, but she's saying to me <laughs> sometimes in the same way as she doesn't want to hear yeah. saying to her sometimes, but she's entitled to that. She's entitled to that, that, that tantrum that she's throwing right now or that space that she's occupying and and living and like the relationship I have with her is phenomenal and I feel really privileged Mm. that she communicates with me in the way she does and the reason she does that is because how I have adapted my style of communication to communicate with her and I feel really proud of that actually yeah of all the things in the world I feel really really proud of that and, you know, having seen you two together in your relationship, I'm not surprised mm. because it's a parent in relationship. So it's not like you're trying to be a sister, you yeah. know, or, or act out of your role. Yeah. But the trust, you see the trust. Yeah. yeah. And you've yeah. mentioned trust all the way through. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. But like, if you go back to when I was 12, 13, 15, 18, I was quite a shy, mm. introverted, lacking in confidence 
individual. So I've evolved into this person. It's not that I, I just knew all the answers or that <laughs> I gave birth to this child and came home, this, this mother that said, oh, I have communication down to a T. I, <laughs> I don't. And I didn't. But each child is different. They're all individual mm. human beings. So you just have to adapt it to whatever way your child is and what works for them. It's only the same as all the people that you work with, isn't it? 100%. Everybody's different. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm getting that sense though as well of the good enough mother. So that yeah. that idea that perfection, there isn't room for perfection in parenting. So actually, you know, good enough leader, yeah. good enough student, yeah. good enough mother, just yeah. good enough is okay. Yeah, um, it is. And, you know, you preach it a lot in from a work perspective, that 80-20 rule, you know, in terms of when you're looking at situations and, everything but actually it applies to yourself as well Did you know stop looking stop kind of aiming for the 100 if you get it kind of halfway there like or even anywhere up between 50 and 80 percent you're doing pretty you're well doing, you know <laughs> yeah i'll take that i'll take that and drop and your standards down a little bit yeah oh god i mean that's my everyday challenge it is a challenge though angela oh. I think it needs to be acknowledged it is a challenge like Huge. we do we do challenge ourselves by trying to be more than what we are and then Absolutely. beating ourselves up for not being that, you know? Yeah, because all you see all the time is the gap, don't you? Mm. That, you know, then you try and fill. And you've just said that you do a lot of reading, a lot of mm. kind of researching to mm. try and get the knowledge that perhaps you yeah. haven't got. And I'm the same. It's that kind of constant striving to grow. But it can be yeah. a double-edged sword, can't it, in terms of yeah. just and showing I, you what you don't know. Yeah. And I would say I haven't read any of those books from start to finish. I've taken snippets. <laughs> no, I haven't. You know, I've read a chapter here and there. I yeah. kind of bought books on Kindle. I bought them, you know, hardbacks or soft copies. And I, I read bits of them. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I got my nugget out of that one. I got my yeah. nugget. Or I, I, I listen to a conversation or I observe something. So I'm, I'm constantly looking out for ways to improve. We do it in our work. So it should be no different than in our lives mm. or in our parenting approach. But I think you have to have that willingness to say, actually, I need to change. I, I need to change, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then accepting yourself, it's like the challenge that you're talking about there is accepting yourself, how you are as a parent, how you are as an individual. And I remember Amy, when she was about 13 or 12 or 13, and when they're finishing off national school in Ireland, she was making a confirmation, which is, you know, they get dressed up and go to the church. But I remember wearing a pair of Converse, right? And I remember my family going mad, you're not letting her go in a pair of Converse <laughs> to the church. You know, and I was thinking, and I, I was like, oh my God, I, I should have got her new shoes or they should be polished or they should be perfect. In that moment, that, 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 just that undermining. And then I thought, wait now. I was looking at her then and I saw her skipping around the kitchen, jumping, so excited and so happy. And I thought, oh no, she's wearing exactly uh, what she wants to wear, that she feels a million dollars in. And that's the most important thing. I love that. And, and so not being influenced by judgment or how things ought to be <laughs> yeah yeah do you know and and then you beating yourself up about it as well and berating yourself that you're mm. a bad mother because you didn't get new shoes and they're not yeah. polished and not perfect whereas actually your child is happy as Larry yeah. and really if we're to look at what are we all aiming for in life on a really bigger scale is pure happiness happiness of course it yeah. is so every moment that you have that is an achievement and you've just mentioned a phrase in there which is actually one of the most difficult things you know, we've got trust in there, which is hard. I mean, you're throwing yeah. all the hard stuff in. Willingness to change. Yeah. Because so often, I mean, it's it's a leadership behavior at the moment in the organization my husband works for. I've just been reading about it. Willingness to change. 
And yet so many people want everybody and everything around them to change. Yeah. But aren't necessarily willing to do that themselves. Mm. And what you're talking about in all of the things that you've brought to the table today is your ability to be willing to change. Yeah. Because you've had to learn some lessons. Yeah. That are almost creating the change. Otherwise, you're going to just keep making mistakes over and over again. Yeah. I remember going quite a few years ago on a mindfulness based stress relief course. And it was just like learning about mindfulness was the first time I'd been exposed to it. And I always remember him telling a story about how he was inside reacting to watching a neighbor doing something with his lawnmower outside. And the lesson was basically, bless them, change me. Uh So it wasn't that the neighbor was doing anything wrong. It's just changed my perspective of what he's doing. And it has stuck with me. That's maybe 10 years ago. But just that one phrase, like when you go to react, if you could just say, okay, it's actually something within me. It's it's not actually what the other person's doing at all, you know. We've all went to type those emails, haven't we? With like, you couldn't hit the key yes. hard enough. And it's, it's, if you stepped away from it, just thought about it for a moment, you wouldn't send it. So, yeah, it's all of your beliefs, isn't it? Coming mm. to the fore. So, back, that leads on to my third pride moment. So, we've talked about Microsoft and that, and we've talked about being a mother. And I guess the third one has got to do with the ability to be able to mentor and influence women. I have a picture on my wall for quite some time, which is, was something like be the woman who fixes another woman's crown without telling the world it was crooked right and it's about doing things leading from behind I guess and constantly building people up and I'm not a feminist in any shape or form but I've noticed that there are little subliminal messages sometimes that are in my family and my friends and in people I'm exposed to and and women in work as well where they're putting themselves down because they're Mm -hmm. a woman and I really hate it and even like I said the other day, I was talking with this lady who's doing some work for us at the moment. And she said, oh, sorry, it's just my, my poor little woman's brain. And I just stopped her and said, you know, so I, I stopped and said, number one, mm-hmm. it's not a little brain, it's the same brain as we all have the same size brain. And number two, a woman's brain is the same as a man's brain. So it's a brain. And I, I keep picking people up on things yeah. like that. Or even we were having to chat about, you know, my nephew's doing some electrical work. And then somebody was saying, oh, why don't you get, your, you know, your nephew to come and help you? And I said, well, you know, my daughter could go and help. It's this concept that yes. electrical, what work can be done by a boy versus what work can be done by a girl. Yeah. And if we don't change that conversation at that level, then it doesn't trickle up along either into the other levels. And when we go back to Microsoft, I always remember when I was sitting there back in 2010, 2012, there was a picture on the wall in front of me of, of the women that work in Microsoft. And it used to bug me every day. And then there was International Women's Day. And yes. Silver Star, they said, you're not coming down. I said, nope. I said, why? I said, I'll tell you what, I'll go down the day you have the International Men's Day. And when you have a picture of the men working in Microsoft on the wall, then I'll, I'll look at that wall. I just, you know, it's, it, it's that kind of, I don't like that way of thinking, I suppose. And I'm in a very lucky position now that I deal with a global company with a lot of women that are working in the area I work in. And it has been a man, you know, I've been exposed to working with a lot of men most of my life because it's software and it was predominantly over the last couple of years has been very much male focused industry. But now I get to work with loads of different cultures as well, Mm -hmm. where a lot of younger women are coming through there as well. And I have the opportunity to mentor them. And it's just I love 
having that opportunity. And it makes me proud every moment. I can build them up to believe that they can be anything they want to be in any part of the world. And their culture doesn't define it. Their gender doesn't define it. And that I can influence them in a really positive way to actually look inside themselves, see what it is that makes them tick, understand their strengths, bring it forward and be whoever they want to be. And I just, it gives me great joy every day, I have to say, to have that opportunity. Oh, and you can hear the passion for that oh, coming yeah, I love through. It. And I'm, I am inclined to agree with you around this pointing out the difference that we've almost become obsessed with. I actually feel it diminishes women even more mm. because it creates that kind of, you only get it because... Yeah. And I would never want to get a job just because I'm a woman. I'd oh, want yeah. to get it because I mean, I'm the best person for the job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you might get it because you're the best person for the job, but then the judgment is, well, you've only got it because you're a woman. So it mm. ends up existing anyway. So I guess yeah. for me, what you're talking about is really interesting. And I completely agree with you around the diminishing through self-talk because yeah. I see women do that yeah. all the time. Mm. I guess for me also, it's about authenticity because I think we have almost like two, like a divide where you have some women who feel that they need to show up as something else in order to fit in yeah, and in order to yeah. be recognized in these environments. And, and I kind of want us to, to do away with that as well and, and become who we are, which is what I see you doing every day. You know, you are you. Yeah. You show up as you, you're confident mm. in your ability, you inspire, look at you, <laughs> she's looking at me and saying, no, but you are that no. at work. I'm laughing, I suppose, because when you say show up as you, and I'm thinking back about, I remember going to America years ago to do consultancy, and I remember arriving in the airport at the Sheraton Hotel, and it had this gorgeous, really expensive looking kind of front desk. And I remember I was after breaking my tooth, my very front tooth, and it fell out and hopped across this, this table at the front. And oh. that receptionist and the young man had to pick it up and hand it back to me. And I remember going into this company. I hadn't met them before. I was only in my 20s. And I remember arriving in, it was in this beautiful place in Maine, in America, and there, and I just gave him this gorgeous big smile with my front, with my front <laughs> tooth missing and said, let's just get this over and done with. It was my first time meeting them. But, you know, I, and I think about, you know, even at that stage, it's important to just remember, own it, own it and show up as you, you know, even if it's not exactly how you want to show up, you know. But how empowering is that? Because, you know, on the flip side, you would have gone in covering your mouth up yeah. like this, yeah. you know, trying not to, to show them. And then that would have come across as so, like, untrusting. Yeah, oh. you know, I, and, yeah, and you would have. You would have come off mm. terrible. It's like arriving at a wedding and somebody else has the same outfit as you. Like, oh. you can either go home and change or you can go up and say, oh, my God, I love your outfit, you know. That's what <laughs> I would do and that's what I have done. I have arrived at a wedding with the exact woman wearing the exact same dress and said, Oh my God, I love your dress. And then she just looked at me and I said, You look amazing. And then she just said the same. So that was it over and done with, you know? Twinning. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be me and you that. I could yeah. just yeah, I could just yeah. imagine it. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, just uh, there's probably about 10 proudest moments in there. There are so many messages. So I can't wait to see what the killer question answer is going to be. I've got, a, I've got a feeling I know what it is. Um, <laughs> I'd love to know the Eleanor Foley secret to success. Well, I've been thinking about this and I think it is 
the connection actually with human beings, with people and remembering that people are people, you know, because I often think about with me in all aspects of my work has always been the connection because every day, don't be under any doubt, I show up and I think I'm an imposter. I still suffer from imposter syndrome. I'm still like, I actually don't know what value I'm bringing to the table sometimes. But I always, I always have this huge ability to connect with people because I see them as human beings. You know, my first thought is always a kind thought. It's always looking at that individual. And I think people buy from people. It doesn't matter whether mm. it's an idea or whether it's a, a product or a service, but it's that trusted advisor role again, yes. isn't it? Like, you know, but if you don't see that other person as that they got up this morning and could be having the most awful day. Mm. You know, and they're they're trying their absolute best to show up and be alive and well and giving it their most, you know. And if you just give them a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of leeway that, you know, their day is possibly not going as well as yours or maybe mm. you're both having bad days. But if you make that, just that human connection, if everybody made this human connection, I think life would be an awful lot easier for everybody. So I think the success comes from that human connection from communicating from being open and honest and from being trusting oh I love it (laughs) I mean it's it's so simple isn't it on one hand just be human and yeah it particularly in the business environment people dance around that thinking it's something super complicated and actually it isn't it comes down to see the good in the other person give them some time trust that their intention is positive and um, just be there. Yeah, if you ever walk along the street and you can see in somebody's face that they're purely distraught and the yeah. anguish on their face. And if you just make eye contact with them and smile, you could change their entire day. Yes. And you not, ne- never speak to them. You don't know their name. They don't know yours. But that human connection mm-hmm. could change that person's day. It could actually change their life. And it's remarkable how shocking that is for people. I noticed this when I make a point of smiling at people on my Mm. walk into work Mm. and they almost like look at you as if you're a bit strange and then they smile back. And that tells me that it doesn't happen often enough because that look of, oh, she's smiling at me. (laughs) Yeah, what she wants to suggest that it's not an everyday occurrence, is it? Yeah. And it's so contagious because, Mm. you know, when you smile and they smile back at you then, but you could just brighten their day and you don't know what hardship they're going through yeah. but that one little gesture that you've done it just that tiniest you're only talking about seconds yeah but back, and, that, and that is the connection and that to me it, in all aspects of life it doesn't matter whether it's a parent whether it's your job whether it's anybody whether it's strangers like it just is the answer to it all I think it's such an easy answer you don't have to be a genius no not really at all you don't, you don't, but you do have to be comfortable in your own skin you do. to do it, you know, and that comes back to the challenge of accepting yourself, that you're okay with them looking at you as if you're Lula for smiling at them in the first place, yeah. you know, but that you, you could brighten up their day, you know, in that way. So it is that, it definitely is the secret to success. What has worked well for me anyway, definitely is, is that human connection. And you have it in spades, which is why you're such an inspirational leader and why you have the genuine following that you have at work and why I think you're so fabulous. 
Uh, I was all sisters. Oh, I just, you know, I mean, we met probably, what was it, about three years ago now. Yeah, yeah. And there's just this connection like no other. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. It's it's phenomenal the strength that comes in that, you know. And and like you say, physically, we've never actually met. No. It feels like we have, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing, yeah. So we've covered so much today. We've talked about kind of positive intent. We've talked mm-hmm. about trust. Mm. We've talked about that ability to learn through yeah. mistakes and yeah. to acknowledge when somebody else has made a mistake that it's okay and what we're going to yeah. learn from it. We've talked about parenting. We've kind of done the whole hog, but ultimately all of this is about connection. Yeah. And connection is the heart of your success and what you suggest would be good for other people to do in that trusted advisor capacity yeah very so well yeah and accepting yourself for who you are right here right now as well which is probably one of the hardest things for for all of us to do yeah it is yeah yeah it's a constant yeah and we're changing all the time as well Mm. so we've got to keep accepting those changes as well accepting the good enough yeah exactly yeah (laughs) It's been an absolute joy to speak to you. Uh, we kept on track, actually. We were quite good there. We could have gone off all over the place, but yeah, we, we didn't we solve didn't. any of the world's problems, actually. Yeah. <laughs> now we'll leave that to them in the UN. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't swear very much either. Oh, no, I think I only did one or two. I'm really proud of myself. Not a proud moment. No swearing for a whole hour. My oh, God. Do you know, give me an F. Go on. <laughs> I can't say the feck word. I can't say <laughs> that is, those are the two. It makes me smile every time you say fit. <laughs> Doesn't qualify as a curse. It's just an adjective. It really is. I think it should be added to the dictionary. Yeah. Oh, Eleanor, thank you so much for giving us your wisdom and sharing so openly. I'm sure you will inspire many. And um, if you want to connect with Eleanor, then we'll put all of her information in the show notes. You can go and find out more about Novartis and the fabulous culture that they are earning there and we will speak again no doubt Eleanor thank yeah, you very for much sure. for your time. lovely chat with you as always see you take care bye bye and so just like that we're at the end of the podcast I hope you've enjoyed your time listening today and a big thank you from me for taking the time I'd really love it if you would be able to leave a review because it really does help us to get noticed. And if you haven't already, why not subscribe and then you never miss an episode. I wish you a lovely rest of the day, whatever it is that you're doing. And I hope that you stay safe and well.